All right. Well, today we're continuing in the uh, Gospel of Matthew. So uh, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we're in chapter 13, where, and we've been looking at the uh, parable of the sower and the seed. And last week we talked about the parable itself, and this week we're going to be talking about this in-between section where, Jesus, uh, where the disciples asked Jesus, why does he teach using parables? And uh, just to give you some background, I can tell you that one of the things that I have often heard uh, during my time as a pastor is that many people find the, dif- the Bible difficult to understand. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes they, they don't understand it, or they think it's going to be difficult to understand. Uh, if you ask someone, why haven't you read the Bible, one of the common answers you'll get is because it's hard to understand. And at IBCD, uh, we have the additional thing that for many of you, English is your second language. And uh, I, I have great respect for folks that are trying to understand a, uh, a complex uh, book like the Bible in a language other than their mother tongue. Because if I had to do the same thing, I'm not so sure I would be, uh, be able to do it or would even be willing to do it. It takes a lot of desire to, to know God's word, to listen to it, and to understand it in another language other than your mother tongue. And I commend you for that. But just like many things that are beautiful and worthwhile, uh, learning to read the Bible in any language is a bit like learning how to play an instrument. Anyone can come up and start banging on the keys of the piano or, or strumming the strings of a guitar, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's making music. Uh, it can be just kind of making noise. And reading the Bible is more than just being able to string words together and to string sentences together because it's written in so many different styles within this one book. It's a book of history. It's a book of poetry. It's a book of wisdom. It's a book which deliberately uses exaggeration at times, hyperbole. We've talked about that, how Jesus would often teach in hyperbole, saying things, unless you hate your mother and father, wife and children, then you're not worthy of being my disciple. We know Jesus isn't about hate, but he's using this, this exaggerated language. But there's also places where the Bible just gives us straightforward facts. And, and learning how to sort of winnow all these things out is, is difficult. It can take some time. And one of the things that Jesus uses, besides hyperbole and straightforward fact, is he uses this tool called parables. And again, we're going to come to that. And uh, because the parables, his disciples even said to him, you know, we find this a bit difficult to understand. So let's, let's look at what a parable is before we get into how he explains why he teaches in parable. So the word parable actually relates to the word parallel. Some of you who are math folks, we've got a lot of smart folks here. Uh, this is about as far as I went in math and understood it. Uh, parallel is like two parallel lines that run across from each other. And so this is where the word parable comes from. And Jesus, when he uses the word, the, uses parable, what he's doing is he takes an everyday event and it's running parallel to the spiritual truths that are within that everyday event. And so... As he teaches, he uses, he uses uh, everyday events that are like super common to people, like a farmer sowing his seed, or a man who's building his house. Either he builds it on the rock or he builds it on the sand, or a woman that's looking for a coin that was lost in her house, and she looks from that, through the house from top to bottom. Very everyday events. But within those ev- stories that are around everyday events, there are these spiritual truths, and there's these connections made. And in this particular parable, if you remember from last week, Jesus actually explains it and makes those connections for us. For example, he says that 
The seed, that's the everyday event, the farmer's scattering his seed, is really the word. And the birds that eat up the seed, that was Satan. And the path, well, that was a hard heart. And the rocky soil, that was persecution. And he goes on, he talks about, you know, and the, and the, the thorny ground, that's being in that place of being deceived by wealth. And so you see these connections that are made along there. And again, part of the genius of Jesus is that because he uses these very everyday kinds of occurrences, they've stayed relevant for the last 2,000 years. Because if I were to tell a parable and say, well, the kingdom of God is like a man who gets on the Strassenbaum and, go, and intends to get off at Heinrich Heine Ali, but falls asleep and wakes up in a different spot, you know, you know something like that, that, that wouldn't be relevant after a few hundred years because probably the Strassenbaum would be gone. And so you wouldn't be able to make the connection. The genius of Jesus is he uses things which we have been able to connect to for 2,000 years. That's pretty impressive. So last week we looked at the parable of the farmer scattering the seed. And so to set up today's sermon, let's just remind ourselves, let's just go back real quick and just read through how Jesus explains this parable. And then we'll go to the discussion that the disciples have with him, asking him why he does this. So he says, listen to them what the parable of the sower means. And you can see the connections he makes. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word once and receives with joy. But since it has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the words. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, make it unfruitful. But the one who receives the crop and that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it and produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So verse 23 I want us to look at. Last week we looked at the, the three soils. We looked at the path. We looked at the rocky soil. We looked at the thorns. But we didn't really get into verse 23. And I want to, that's what we're going to get into today because I believe that the verses before it explain it. He says that the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. And in that understanding there is growth. He produces a crop yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. So how does a person then understand the Word of God? That's really the question the disciples are asking him. How, how do you understand? How do we understand what you're saying? Is understanding simply a function of intelligence? I don't think so. There's a lot of very intelligent people in the world that have not understood the Scripture, and there's a lot of people of average intelligence that have. So it's not really a question of intelligence. It's not a question of scholarship. So how do we understand God's Word? Well, I think the disciples had many of these same issues with Jesus. And so they go to Jesus and they ask him this. They say, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus gives this curious answer. And this is what we're going to be unraveling today. This, this answer, which at first, like many of the things Jesus says, seems a little bit hard to, to get your hands on. And you kind of wish, why don't you just give us a straightforward answer? Why, don't you, why do you, you know, speak in such circles sometimes? Or that's what it seems like. So he says this, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. One of the questions we're going to have to ask is, who is them? 
Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which Gabrielle read to us today. You will be ever hearing and never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So let's go through this. The disciples, like I said, they, they oftentimes didn't really understand what Jesus was doing. And Jesus sometimes would be kind of, kind of harsh with them. Like there was this one time that, that, uh, that he, he, uh, they, they, sent, they, they went to go get bread and they didn't bring it back. And Jesus says something about beware of the teaching of the Sadducees for it's like yeast that works its way through dough. And the disciples said, he's mad at us because we didn't bring bread. And Jesus actually says to them, are you so dull? Now, are you so thick up here? How long will I have to put up with you? you know, there, there's many times the disciples didn't get what he was talking about. And, and you see it sometimes in the scriptures, like the Gospel of John. There's, this little, there's, there's times when he says they didn't understand at the time what was going on. In, as John does hindsight, he will put those little verses in there, which is kind of an interesting insight into the disciples. But they ask him this question, why do you speak to the people in parables? And I think, in my opinion, this is just another way of saying, why do you hide your teachings in all these stories? Why don't you just tell us what you mean? Why don't you just be straightforward with us? And I think the, the answer to this is very similar to how, those of you who are parents, how, you, how we raise our children. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I found that my kids did not tend to listen when I would say, listen to me and I will give you my wisdom. And then I just was like straightforward telling my kids, you know, stay out of credit card debt, you know, be celibate until marriage, you know, just kind of pop, 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 pop. And my kids would like roll their eyes. But if I would tell them a story, like what it was like in my life growing up or something that I did in my life growing up, then they would listen. They were interested in stories. Because I think by nature, we are interested in stories. We just like stories. Many cultures, many, almost all of our cultures here have some kind of storytelling element to it. And sometimes some of your cultures have people, that is their job. They're specifically the storytellers of the, of, the, of the nation or of that people group. And Jesus is the same way. He uses stories because stories ask us to engage. Stories bring us in. They, they draw us in. And before we know it, we are engaged with this thing. And then through that engagement, we learn something. And so Jesus says this. He replies to them. He says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is given to you, but not to them. We'll talk about them again later on. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even that will be taken from him. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, it's interesting that as Jesus answers this question, he actually makes reference to another parable. And I don't know if, you, if you've ever picked up on this, but this is kind of, I, th I found this kind of fascinating as I was digging through this and to try and come to understanding. Cindy, the, who read the New Testament, told us the story about the, the, ten, the talents. 
One guy gets five, one guy gets two, one guy gets one. You just heard the story. I don't need to repeat the whole thing to you. And this parable isn't explained, by the way. Talent in the story is a sum of money. Uh, it's just kind of coincidence that in English, talent also means a skill. And so because it's not really explained, you can, you can look at it in several different ways. You can say, but it, it all comes to some sort of investment, an investment of self or an investment of resources, be those resources monetary or be those resources a skill or however you want to look at it. But when the, when the one servant doesn't do anything, he, he buries the talent. Uh, we, have the, we have the master returning and he says this, Take this talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now compare this to how Jesus explains why he teaches in parables. He replies, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. Whoever has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. I found it fascinating and, and kind of eye-opening to see that Jesus uses the exact same phrase in explaining both of these parables. It's word for word, especially the part where he says, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He uses the exact same phrase. So what do we learn from that? How do we understand this idea of parables? Well, when Jesus explained the parable of the sower and the seed, and there's this principle in trying to understand the Bible that you let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. So one of the clear ways we can understand the parable of the talents is in a very similar way to the parable of the seed, that the, well, some of the servants have been given much in the Word of God, and they invested in that Word of God, and they grew spiritually. And the one who had five talents grew that into ten. And the one who had two talents grew that into four. And when the master comes back, he commends them, not because of the amount that they have. Do you notice that? He doesn't really make a difference between the one who has, five, who has ten now and the one who has four. He just commends the growth. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in, did you use what I gave you? Did you use what I gave you and engage in it and grow. And the one who had the, the, the servant that had the one talent, you know, he's afraid of the master. He's like a lot of people who think that God is this angry old man just kind of standing up in heaven, just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can strike you with lightning or squash you like a bug. And so he's afraid of him. And he says as much. He says, you know, I know that you are a, a, a harsh man. His opinion of the master is not very high. And the master says, you know, you took what I gave you and you just buried it. You didn't grow. If that person had taken that one talent and then grown it to two, he would have commended the growth. And I think even if that servant had said, I tried to do something with it and, and I've struggled with it, the master would have responded in a more positive way than what he did because what this guy did was nothing. He did nothing with what he was given. He didn't use it. He didn't misuse it. He didn't touch it. He just took it and he buried it. And there was no growth. No growth positive or negative. There's nothing. And so if you take that idea then and you connect it to the parable of the seed, you kind of can see that really what Jesus is getting at in both of these parables is that he wants us to engage with him. He wants you to grow spiritually. And he's not talking about the amount you grow. He's not saying that you become some, you know, 
world-renowned scholar on the things of God. He's just talking about growth. Do you grow from five talents to ten? Do you grow from two talents to four? Do you grow from one talent to two? Because if you continue to grow, you're going to eventually kind of catch up and everyone will be in a place of knowledge and wisdom as they walk with God. And it's not just a head knowledge. It's, this, it's a heart knowledge. It's a knowledge that is in relationship with God. It's a knowledge that takes us back to the verse that I'm constantly quoting about the fruits of the Spirit. Are you growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is it leading you into this place? And we know the story, too, that like when he returns, he says this, this curious thing that whoever has will be, will be given more, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what that is taken away from him. You know, that, that seems like a harsh thing, but what Jesus is saying in this whole thing is, I want you to grow. And I've given you opportunities to grow. And if you're not engaging with me so that you grow, then I will take the responsibilities and the privilege I have in your life of giving you responsibilities. It's a privilege to have responsibilities given to you by God. I'm going to take those and I'll put them in the hands of someone who will take it and use it and grow with it. And you say, well, that seems mean. It's not. This guy wasn't doing anything with this talent. It would be wasteful of Jesus just to say, well, I'm just going to leave it there. You know, he takes it, puts it in the hands of the person that's going to use it and grow with it. And so from this, we can understand this idea that Jesus has for us to engage. And I think this is one thing that we struggle with as Christians. It goes all the way back from Genesis throughout the Bible. God wants us to engage with him. He's not really, this isn't an academic pursuit. Our faith isn't just sitting and listening to lectures and calling them sermons. Our faith is to be one that is engaging with God. You know, there's this, there's this curious little story in Genesis that talks about when, when God was uh, cre creating the animals, he brought Adam in to name the animals. And, the, and in Hebrew, when you name something, you're giving it its character. This is why God would often change the names of people in the Old Testament, because he, he wanted them to have a certain character. And by giving, by giving the animals the names, God is incorporating Adam into the creation process. He is engaging with Adam, and Adam is engaging with God. And this sense of engagement you see throughout the Bible, we're called Christ's ambassadors. Have you ever wondered, you know, it would be way easier, wouldn't it, if God would just show up, and like his face or his glory would just cover the skies, and he'd say, you know, follow Jesus. Boy, that would make things a lot easier for evangelism anyways. But he doesn't. Why? Because he wants us to engage. God doesn't need any more spiritual growth. God is complete in who he is. We're the ones that need to grow. It's the same reason why you as a parent, when your kids bring home homework, you don't just sit down and do it for them. You could. I mean, I could until my kids got to about the fifth grade anyway, when it came to math. But, you know, like say they come that first grade, second grade, any of you could sit down and just do the work for them, Right? But the kids wouldn't grow. They wouldn't grow in understanding. They wouldn't grow in the, the knowledge that they need. It's the same way with spiritual things. God can do this, sure. But he wants us to grow because he's preparing us for something greater. He's preparing us to be children of eternity. He's preparing us to dwell in the kingdom of God forever. And I don't think we're going to be just hanging around playing harps and sitting on a cloud. I think that the engagement that we are growing in now is going to continue for all eternity. And the responsibilities that God may place upon us, 
we have no comprehension where the, what that is going to be. I don't think the book of, I don't think the Bible ends with Revelation being the end of, of our being and how we're going to be with God. I think the book will continue on. The story will continue on with God because he's a creative God. So he's preparing us and we need to be willing to be prepared. And so Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And then he says this other curious thing. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing and never understanding. You'll be ever seeing and never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Now, at first glance, this, is, this almost seems like Jesus is saying, I am intentionally withholding understanding from people because I don't want them to understand. And this seems strange to us, and it would be strange. God didn't empty himself of his glory, take upon the flesh, suffer our sufferings, go to the cross where he was tortured and humiliated so that we could have life, just so that we come out without understanding. So there's a context to what he's saying here. And what is that context? Well, as the Jewish disciples would listen to Jesus, and when he mentions the prophet Isaiah, we see what the context is. It's this passage that was read to us today. The prophet Isaiah is, is in the temple. It's after a king died that was one of the good kings, King Uzziah. He's in a place of kind of personal crisis, and he has this vision of God. And the vision of God shows up to him and, and, and says who is going to be... Uh, who will be sent for him, and, and Isaiah feels like he's out of place. And then an angel comes and touches his lips with this coal, saying, in a sense, the fire is cleansing the words that come out of his mouth, making him a prophet. And then he's, he's given this strange commission. And look at verse, verse uh, 9 here. He says, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, Make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their ears, hear with their ear, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Jesus, when he says, This is why I speak in parable, he's speaking within the context that Isaiah was speaking. What was Isaiah's context? Well, he was he was a prophet in a nation that didn't want to hear the word of God anymore. The kingdom of Israel had been split into two. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Isaiah, as a prophet, actually in the southern kingdom, knows that the northern kingdom is going to be falling soon. It's going to be attacked by the Assyrians. It is going to be conquered. And God's calling to Isaiah is, is go out and speak to these folks. And there's a, little, there's, there's a little difference in translation or in how it's expressed here. In here he says, make the heart of this people callous. When Jesus refers to this prophecy, he says their heart is calloused, that it has been fulfilled, and that Jesus is coming into the place where this is a fulfillment. And who is Jesus around during this time? Who are the people listening to Jesus? Who are the religious people in Jesus' time? Well, we've talked about them. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, but the Pharisees are the ones we run into a lot. And you remember the story, remember the Pharisees, we've talked about them. They're religious, and they are dedicated to their faith. But they're very rigid, and they will not listen to Jesus. Jesus' words to them, to the Pharisees, just kind of blows their minds. And understandably, 
Because Jesus comes in and says that, that he's one that is greater than the temple. One that's greater than the prophets is here. One that is the very harbinger of the kingdom of God is here. And the, and the Pharisees are like, wow, you being a mere man claim to be God. They understood what he was saying. Jesus was not easy for the Pharisees. And so their hearts are, are hardened against him. They don't want to deal with him. They don't want to hear it. And they, in fact, try to kill him. And they plot several times to bring about Jesus' death. Those are the they that he's talking about. When he talks about the, wor the words of the kingdom, the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you and not to them. When he says this to the disciples, them are the religiously rigid folks that would not hear the very word of God made flesh speaking to them. And what an enormous privilege. I mean, how many of you, what would you give if you could have five minutes to go back in time and just observe Jesus? I would give everything I have. Just to hear him, even though I probably couldn't understand the Aramaic that he'd be speaking, just to hear what his voice sounded like, to see him, man, that would be just mind-blowing, wouldn't it? And he's saying that this is, this is what's in front of these Pharisees and they don't want it. And so God does what God often does with people in this place. He just lets them go down this road of stubborn sin. A stubborn sin. You know, the people were stubborn in their sin. And, and God just says, you can just continue down that road. If you don't want to engage, if you don't want to rethink anything, then just continue on your way. And God does this often in the scriptures. When someone is determined to be in the place of sin and they have no desire to even look to the left or to the right, God just says, all right, let sin be your, your tutor and you're going to find out the pain that's involved in staying in that place of sin. And so, be ever hearing, though they never hear. Be all seeing, but they don't see. And then in my opinion, I think there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it would be sarcasm, or, or I think there's a little bit of a, a humor, or at least an understanding like a parent would have of a kid when he says to them, You'll be ever seeing but never understanding. You'll be ever hearing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. I think it's a little bit like a parent telling a kid, you know, what? why don't you just go on and continue not studying? Why don't you just go continue on failing your courses? Because otherwise, I would have to prepare for you to go to university. But I don't have to now. Because you're continuing in your way of failure. So, good for me. Mom and I are going on vacation. There's a little bit of this sense of there of, of God is saying, you know, he wants to heal, but these folks don't want to turn. And so I, I, I read a little sarcasm, sarcasm in, in, in not a dark way, but in just kind of a, a humorous way, because God does have a sense of humor, though you wouldn't know it by some folks. So once again, we see the desire of God to engage with him. Engage engage with me. And then he tells his disciples who have engaged with him, blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. He tells his disciples, you are listening and blessed. You're blessed for that. I imagine Jesus would be saying something like, I know I'm hard on you sometimes. Sometimes I call you dull. Sometimes I listen to you fighting and I say, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? But really, 
Blessed are you because your eyes do see and your ears do hear because you want to see and you want to hear and you've engaged with me. And then this many prophets and righteous men, it just comes back to us. The prophets and the righteous, they would have loved to have sat with the very word of God made flesh and talked with him. You know, how many questions do you have right now that you would love to ask Jesus if he was sitting across from you right now? Personal questions. Or just stuff that you've wondered about. What's the deal with the dinosaurs, Jesus? You know, stuff like that. Answer me some of these questions. They're not necessarily earth-shaking type questions, but don't you have questions that you would love to sit and be able to ask Jesus? I do. And he says to his disciples, you are getting that chance. You're sitting with the very word of God. Isaiah would have loved to sit here. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all the prophets, Amos, Zephaniah, they would have loved to sit here. Micah, he would have loved it. And you get to sit here. Blessed are you. And blessed are you. Because today, we still have people all around us that have the form of religion but they don't have its power. They don't have the desire for it to change their lives. And we have a lot of people in the world around us that would say, well, I follow these certain rituals. I'm, I'm baptized, I'm married, and I'm buried in the church. And if I follow these rituals, then I'm a Christian, especially in Europe where you have the state-run church, where everything is just kind of systematized. And the passion, there are folks with passion, but there are a lot of folks that will tell you they are Catholic or they are Protestant in Germany, and you know this as well as I do, that there's no spark of fire in there. It's just, it's just another title that they carry. And in my country, it's not so different. Yeah, people go, we have many, many, many churches, but that doesn't mean that there's passion. And it's the same anywhere. It's the same in African nations. You have people that will say they're this church, and maybe they... There's an, there's an expression of it that, that looks lively, but you get into the heart, and you're like, well, where is that heart? In India and around the world, we're all the same because we're all human beings. We have folks that say that they have a religion, but there is no real power, and there's no relationship. And then there are those that have that relationship, and in that relationship with Christ, their lives are transformed. And some are spectacularly transformed. Some are transformed. It's all good. Because that's what the master is looking for. Is there growth? Is there engagement? Are you with me? And Jesus has a lot to teach us. And there's never going to come to a time you're going to come to the end of it. Most of this, which I shared with you today, that connection between those two parables, that was new to me. I learned that this week as I was digging around and praying about it. And you want to know how to understand the Scripture the easiest way if you're a believer to understand the Scripture? And this is only if you're a believer. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And I would encourage you this week as you're going through your, your scriptures, I know some of you are very studious, and as soon as you don't understand something, you, you go and you look it up, either uh, with a, a commentary, or you go to some teacher that you trust, or you, you, you immediately start looking for answers outside of you and the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you this week to do something different, if that's your tendency. Just pray about it. And see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. I didn't find this connection between these two parables in a, in a commentary. I'm sure it's in a commentary somewhere. 
But allow the Holy Spirit to work with you because that is engaging. That is what it means to engage. You say, well, who does it look like to engage? Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight, to give you wisdom, to show you what his word means. The Holy Spirit wants to tutor you in God's word. And if you come up, if you're just like you're, you're, you're there and, and, you, and you don't want to wrestle with it for very long, then I would encourage you to change that attitude. Wrestle with the scripture. Wrestle with it. Get a hold of it. And if it throws you to the ground without understanding, get back up and grab on again and pray harder. I think this is kind of one of the, the stories, the parables we have with uh, uh, Jacob when he wrestled with God. You know that story in the Old Testament that he wrestles with God? It's, again, a very strange story. Like, how, why would Jacob be wrestling with God? I think it's a parable of our life. God wants us to engage, and sometimes in that engagement, we hurt. Sometimes in that engagement, God throws us to the ground. Sometimes in that engagement, we understand. And we, we put on a good move, and I don't think God's like, well, you got me. More like he's a coach saying, that's good. You're getting it. You're understanding it. Wrestle with it. And it will change you. Jacob got changed because God touched his hip and dislocated it. And Jacob walked with a limp after that. But that was okay. It was a reminder to Jacob that he's wrestled with God and will continue to wrestle with God. And I would encourage you, engage with God. Engage with him. And if you come up with some crazy idea that, you know, Jesus is a spaceman and you are like his only connection and all that, well, then talk to people around you that you trust and say, this is what I think, and let them speak into your life and point out to you in the scripture that Jesus is not a spaceman and you are not his only connection on the earth. Now, allow yourself to be teachable. That was meant to be as a joke, but it's really hard to tell in a small group if people are getting that. You know, I see people taking notes. Jesus is not a spaceman. <laughs> he wants us to have a life that's meaningful and beautiful. And it's not just for now, but it's for eternity. And that's what he offers you. So take it. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and thank you for what you do teach us in your word. And Lord, we pray that Pray for all of us. There are times when we're confused, not just in hearing you from your Bible, from the Word of God written, but just hearing from you in the direction of our lives. And Lord, help us to engage. I think sometimes it's easy to become spiritually lazy. I know certainly I've, I go through times like that. I think we all do. But I know that there are, there are many times in our lives where we feel like we haven't heard you, and if you really get to the truth of it, we really haven't sought you out very much. And so we complain that we're not hearing uh, from you about some direction of our life, and then if you really get down to it, well, how much have we really sought you out? And we find out that you know, we, we probably need to do a little bit more seeking. And Lord, we pray you'd protect us from the enemy that would that would tell us that you don't want to be engaged, that we just need to sit down and shut up. And that's not what you're about. And so, Lord, the, the distractions from the enemy or the lie from the enemies, let's set those aside. The enemy that says, how dare you ask questions of God? How dare you wrestle with God? And may we remind ourselves that this is the story of faith that we see throughout the Bible, the heroes of the faith. 
They suffered. They wrestled with you. They sought you in times of deep despair and darkness. And the reason why their story is worth telling is because they did go through this suffering. They did go through the trial. And you made yourself known to them in such powerful ways that we read about them to this very day, thousands of years later. May we not become discouraged, but encouraged by the fact that you, the very word of God, became flesh to dwell among us, to reveal the glory of our Lord, to teach us, to open up the way of salvation by paying for our sins for us so that we could be born again with our eyes upon our Father, children not of the temporary, but of the eternal. May we rejoice in this in Jesus' name. Amen.